0: All right, so um, just wanted to uh, clarify before I get going in here too far. Uh, in your bulletin, uh, this little guy here, uh, uh, the message uh, passage, the, the message is on Matthew 830 according to our uh, bulletin. I just wanted to read that really quickly to you. Uh, because we had a lot of fun with this this week. Uh, I'll be preaching from Matthew 8, verse 30, which says, Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. Oh boy, there's a lot of things I could do there. But I actually was tempted to preach that message uh, this morning, because that's just a lot of fun, I think. That could be really good. But no, actually the passage is Matthew 5, verse 3. So uh, we uh, won't mention who accidentally put that in the bulletin. We also won't mention who proofread <clears throat> the, uh, the, the bulletin before it was printed. But anyway, just wanted to make sure everybody knows we're in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, not in Matthew 8. All right, so uh, God is a good God, amen? Jesus died for all of us. Uh, we read in the passage at the beginning. China read um, from Matthew, or excuse me, from Romans chapter five, verse 17 and 18, where it talks about this reality that through one man's trespass, one man's sin, Adam's sin, all faced death. But at the same token, because of one man's righteousness, Jesus, all have life. It is an amazing truth of Scripture that Jesus died for all. For all of us, every one of us, the entire world. His death, his one righteous deed, uh, which was his whole life, his one righteousness was enough to pay the price for all of humankind. We all have an opportunity for salvation because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. This is an amazing reality that we have a God who loves us so much. And earlier in Romans chapter 5, it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, In other words, he didn't wait until we kind of deserved it right? He didn't wait to give his life on the cross until we got to the point where we were, you know, living in a way that, oh, well, you know what? They've kind of gotten pretty good now. I guess it's worth me going down there and dying for them. No, while we were still sinning, while we were still rejecting Jesus, Christ died for us. Amazing truth. Awesome truth. It's amazing grace. However, some have taken this to mean that because of one righteousness, all have have life, that we can extrapolate sometimes this passage out to say that it means that there is universalism, that everyone will be saved no matter what they do, how they live the rest of their life, no matter whether or not they believe in Jesus or not, all men will be saved. All men and women will be saved. All mankind will be saved. But that's not true either because Scripture also teaches us that humanity has been created in God's image. And part of being created in God's image is the ability to say yes or no. It's called free will. All of us have the choice. See, even though Jesus died for all, the benefits of that death are only for those who want it. It's only for those who choose to accept it. God is not going to force anyone into the kingdom of heaven. There will be no one at the end of time to go, wait a second, this is not what I wanted. This is not what I asked for. It'll be exactly and beyond what we are hoping for, those who are there. You see, Jesus died for all, but all have free will, a choice to accept that amazing gift or reject it. This world that we live in, actually allows us to live our lives on our own pretty well. You know, even though only those who accept Jesus will enter eternity, those who do that are not the only ones who are blessed. Creation is here for all of us to enjoy, whether we're Christians or not, whether we've accepted Jesus or not. It's amazing this, uh, this creation that we have and what it uh, gives us, how it provides for us. It's amazing how we are born each with, uh, with gifts and abilities, talents. Oftentimes those talents are unique like no one else. And the things that we can do with those talents, he's given us those gifts so that we can actually succeed in this life to some extent, that we can enjoy this life. So we see that Jesus died for all, but he still allows everyone to make that choice. No one is forced to accept him. But even more than that, he also allows those who don't choose him to actually live a pretty good life, to enjoy the beauty and the blessing of his creation. But Jesus does love us. He loves every one of us, those who have accepted him and those who haven't. He loves us. He knows that each of us were created to be in intimate relationship with him and his Father. He knows that that is the best life for us. That's our purpose. It's only when we accept Jesus and only when we live for him that we are going to be able to fulfill our life's purpose, to fulfill what we were created for. And so even though he allows us the blessings of his creation, he also includes one more thing to try to draw us to himself. And that one more thing is trouble, it's pain, it's suffering, it's struggle. Jesus loves, loves us so much, he allows us to experience struggle in this world, trials. You know, most of us, when it comes to trouble, we, we only see it as bad, we we see trials in this life as only bad. It's they're things to avoid at all costs. They're things to got to gotta get through as fast as we can. You know to get to the other side of them. Very few of us, if we were asked, if we could say, so, "Hey, you know, is is there any blessing in trouble?" Most of us would say, "No. I just want out of this. I just want to get through this. I don't like the pain. I don't like suffering. I don't like the struggles of this life. I don't like sin and what it's the experience of that. I don't like the the, the bad things that happen in my life that just happen. Even even bad uh, tragedies like you know this hurricane that came through just this last week." Things in creation, earthquakes and tornadoes and bad storms and fires like we're having here in California. Natural disasters, those are bad things. We, we just want to get through them. But the amazing thing is, is that God actually allows trouble in order to bless us. He allows trouble in order to bless us. All of us are going to come to salvation or have come to salvation because of trouble. You know, I think back to my high school years and even into college and my study habits. I uh, was a, a B student. I uh, got B's throughout high school and even into college. Well, I had a few D's in college, but uh, I, I, did, I did okay. But understand that I, uh, my study habits were a little bit different. Maybe you can relate to this because my study habits were basically do the minimum in order to get the grade right? I mean, I I did not, yeah, oh, we got some, uh, anybody else like that? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I did not, like, I was trying to figure out ways to cut corners, and I didn't have to study stuff. If I didn't have to, you know, if I found out, like, a professor only, you know, required you to be at class, or you only could, you could get by if you're only class a couple of times a week, right? I was at that class a couple of times a week, you know, why would I be there more than that, right? I don't need to be there that much, right? I can still get a C in that class. I can still, this is the way I studied, right? I mean, this is how I got through both uh, uh, high school and college. That tells you a lot about me, maybe. Um, I don't know. Uh, but uh, one of the things, though, I, I had a drama class in college. It was a drama appreciation. Now, if you know me very well, you go, wow, you should do pretty good in that, Sean. Um, and uh, I kind of thought that too, right? I, that's why I picked a class. Like, oh, this is going to be easy. You know, maybe we'll do some skits in class or something. It'll be fun, right? And it was not that at all. And so I remember, you know, the first, you know, uh, first couple of weeks of class, you know, there was these assignments, and I kind of did some of the assignments, but you're always trying to figure out the professor, you know, what, you know, the requirements were to get by in that class. And and so I, I, just kind of like feeling it all out, and I never really knew until the first test, right? You get to that first test, and you get through that, you see how you're doing the test, and it tells you a lot about, okay, what I need to do next, right? So I get to the first test, and I, like, I failed. I mean, I failed, failed like this first test. And I mean, I mean, there were questions on that test. I remember sitting there taking the question, the test going, I have never heard that name before. Where did that come from? Right. And, and I, you know, I'd done a little bit of studying and so I was really shocked. But the amazing thing about that failure in that test was that it caused me to go, okay, I got to do something different right? And so that I could try to adjust my study habits in order to get to the next level. And and this is the reality of life. This speaks to our reality of life. We have a tendency of human beings to kind of just go along in the way that we've learned to kind of live life. And it works, and as long as it's working, as long as everything's kind of happening and everything's pretty good, we just keep doing it week after week after week. It's no big deal, right? but it's when something bad happens, it's when we fail the test, it's when something horrible all of a sudden comes out of, in, in our life that we stop and we go, whoa, maybe I need to do something different. And this is exactly where the blessing of trouble comes from. When we face struggle, when we face trials, when our life all of a sudden starts to get very painful It causes us to step back and say, okay, what is life really about? Or what am I actually doing here? The blessing of trouble is that it confronts our actions and our perspectives that may not be true. It reveals also the world's corruption. And it causes us uh, or gives us an opportunity to make a change. These blessings of trouble, we see eight of them, in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3 is known, of course, as the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and it's the Beatitudes. The blessed are this week poor in spirit. Each of these Beatitudes, uh, this has kind of been my, uh, the definition that I've come up with as I looked at this. Blessed, the, uh, Beatitudes are blessed attitudes Resulting from real life experiences that are usually painful. Beatitudes are blessed attitudes that come from real life experiences that are usually painful. See, we don't strive for these beatitudes, they're not something we strive for because they're painful. You know, it's like, oh, I, I want to be poor in spirit. Yeah, how do I get that, right? And sometimes we look at that, right? Sometimes we look at these as if there's something to strive for. It's something we can accomplish. You know, us as Christians, you know, we, we come into, you know, into Christ. We bow our knee to Jesus as Lord. And, oh, okay, you now, we be at Oh, I want to have these. Look at these great things. I, I get the kingdom of heaven. Oh, I want that. And so I'm going to try to be poor in spirit. But they're not something that we can strive for. There's not something that we can cause to happen. Because there's something, they are things that happen to us that are outside of our control. By very nature, that's what they are. They're attitudes that result from a real life experience that are usually painful. Not always painful, but most of the time they are. It would be my guess that no one has come to a believing faith in Jesus without one of these eight Beatitudes, without one of these painful experiences happening to them, where they've been forced to step back and go, oh, what is life really all about? The Beatitudes, these eight Beatitudes are actually personal calls from Jesus to us. You see, Jesus gives us creation, and it all points towards Jesus, right? It all saying, hey, there's a creator out there. This is beyond what we can do as humanity. This is amazing. It's, I, can't, I don't understand how it all works. And so it kind of points to a creator. But if that's not enough, if we're just going to use the blessings of creation for our own good and for our own uh, uh, success rates or whatever, then, then Jesus also will give us trouble. He will also allow these struggles to happen to our life because that's a personal call where he's saying, no, 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 wait, you're missing it. You're focusing on the creation when you need to be focusing on the creator. You're thinking this is all about you when it's really all about me. These Beatitudes are confrontations with a corruption in our world, and they cause us to reevaluate our lives and our perspectives. But there are also opportunities to know and get to know more personally the Savior of the world. Even those of us who have already accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we will still experience these at times. We will experience, I mean, we're still going to run into one of these beatitudes, one of these confrontations with the world at some point. And Jesus will continue to call us deeper into that relationship with Him, more intimacy and understanding and more enjoyment of that relationship. And with that confrontation and with that opportunity, we then still have a choice, that free will, of what we're going to do about it. Will we continue to keep fighting alone or will we surrender to Jesus? So now let's get into, with that intro for the Beatitudes in this new series we're heading into, let's get into the poor in spirit. Again, Matthew 5, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In this beatitude, we see that the world is filled with success and all kinds of success, wealth of all kinds, right? It's not just about having a lot of money or having a lot of things, this beatitude is talking about the confrontation that we have with failure. See, the fact is that most of us, when we start our lives, we are looking to the future always. We're looking about how do we, how do we get, how can we be successful in this world? Oftentimes, for us as Americans, success has money in it, or some kind of power that comes from having that money, or some kind of security that comes from that. Some of us, it's about family and having a certain family dynamic or enjoying a certain family or creating a family at some, day, at some point in our lives. Some of us, is about you know, just relationships with others and uh, maybe even about reputation, having people that look at us a certain way or, or, or consider us to be you know, special in some way. Others of us, it's about influence or impact in the world or leaving some kind of legacy. These are the things that we look at in our world as ways to be successful. These are the things that we strive for. These are the things that are blessed, given to us, you know, because of of God's amazing blessing of creation, the fact that he gifts us and gives us talents and abilities so that we can be successful in this world. These are things that we find our identity in, the things that we place a sense of success in. But all of us, if we're living our life for the world, for these things, for this kind of success, this worldly success, there will come a point, most likely, where we will face failure, where we will realize that what the, the dreams that we have are not attainable. Where we realize that what we were hoping, or what we were looking to as the meaning of life, or what we were hoping and would be the, our success in this world, all of a sudden is taken from us, or it's proven that there's no way it'll ever happen. From a pastoral standpoint, I think of some of uh, uh, some of my friends who had plans of being a pastor, and then at some point in their life, they had a divorce, and it just kind of ruined it all. And they felt like, oh, my gosh, I can never be a pastor now because I've gone through a divorce. Uh, You know, in a funny way, I I remember back to when I was in high school and thinking I was going to be an NBA player someday. I mean, look at me, right? You know, that was (laughs) standing in front of the mirror and like, ah, No. But you know, we all are confronted with this. Those of us who get to the point, maybe, of retirement and where our whole life has been about our job. I've known so many pastors who their whole life has been about their identity, is so wrapped up in being a pastor, and then they get to that point where they should be retiring and they fight it and they fight it and they fight it because they can't vision themselves to being anything else but a pastor. So even the good things that we can do in this world, right, the, 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 the sweet things, the godly things that we can do can, can be a replacement for where we should be focused, which is Jesus. When we are confronted with failure in some way, uh, we, ain't, uh, we fail the class or we don't get the job or the promotion, or we, we, we have this you know, situation where we lose our reputation because maybe of a, a past event that we did at one point that comes out. We are forced to reevaluate our perspective on life. We're forced to reevaluate, okay, if that's not success, if I can't accomplish that, then what is life all about? What am I here for? And this evaluation is so important because within it is an opportunity to surrender to Jesus. It's an opportunity to refocus our life from the things of the world into Jesus and onto Jesus. Now, some of us, when we faced failure of our dream, the failure of our idea of what success is, failure of who we thought we were, some of us try again or try in a new way. Oh, you know, we're just not going to give up. We're just, you know, we're the only way to do this is per, through perseverance. Yeah. I get knocked down, but I pick myself back up and I go at it again. And so some of us will just continue to fight over and over and over again. We will face failure and we'll get up and then, nope, that's not the end. I'm still heading in the same direction. And a lot of times in our world, we, we highlight that. We celebrate that. You know, the people that continue to, they're just, they're just so stubborn, they're not giving up on it. They're gonna continue to seek that success, seek that dream. However, there are some of us, and oftentimes it's those who keep uh, getting up again, that will eventually maybe come to a point where they finally just reach despair. And they realize there's no way they will ever be able to be successful in the way that they had hoped they would be successful. There's no way that they're going to be able to enjoy the dream. It is these people that will find blessing. It is these people, when they turn and seek Jesus, that will be able to enjoy the blessing that is described in this beatitude, because they will become poor in spirit. You see, the poor hear the call of Jesus, and they respond. In the midst of the trial, and in the midst of their despair, they hear Jesus' voice, who says, I'm the reason. I'm here for you. I love you. I have so much more for you but it's not in this world, it's in me. Those of us who have accepted Jesus as Lord understand that true success comes only through Jesus. However, we may only think that in our minds, but not actually live that in our hearts. There can be some of us who are Christians in this place today who, who are still striving for success in the world, that that's still the dream. Perhaps some of you, because of this pandemic, have had that dream exposed. Maybe because you've lost your job or lost your business. Maybe because of the loss of relationships. Maybe because of even the struggle with relationships, other uh, reputation, and that kind of thing right now. Because of maybe your positions on certain issues. Jesus may be confronting you with this as well. But the reality is, true success comes only through Jesus. And if we're looking for success in anyone else, it will fail. We cannot be successful on our own. John 15, 5 talks about that we can do nothing unless we are in the vine, unless we are with Jesus, unless we have Jesus. Isaiah 64, 6 says that all of our, even our righteous acts are filthy rags without Jesus. Jesus is the one who is righteous. We can't do it alone. Only he can. We, he, what we desire and what we put our hope in in this world will not last. Only he will. And so what the poor in spirit do when they're faced with failure is they give up putting their hope in worldly wealth and success. And they turn and put their trust in Jesus and what He offers, and His righteousness and His goodness and His eternal kingdom. A rewrite of this particular beatitude, in my words would read as follows: "Blessed are those who have failed in the world, for they will find success in the eternal kingdom. So what about you? Have you been confronted by failure? Are you at retirement age and struggling with letting go of that career, that job, that that ability that you've had and done and found your identity in for 40 or 50 or maybe 60 years? Maybe you're a young person and you're just starting getting, getting things going and you still got big dreams for the future, but you're also already starting to run into trouble as you have a hard time maybe getting into that school that you wanted to get into or you're having a hard time getting that, you know, uh, that, step, that foot in the door in order to get that career and that job going in the direction you want. Maybe you're struggling in your relationship, your marriage relationship, and this dream that you had of what your, your marriage would be like and your family would be like has just been shattered. Are you being confronted by failure? It's not that we shouldn't have goals and ideas of things that we can do in this world. Certainly they're not bad in themselves. But we must understand that those can never be the most important things. We must understand that Jesus is where we place our hope. I remember uh, early on in my life in my ministry. Well, I guess it was kind of not too early on. I was probably in my uh, mid or my early thirties, and I was kind of late to the game. I knew God had called me to be a pastor when I was probably you know ten years old, but. I was kind of late to the game actually getting into a full-time position, so I didn't even finish my schooling until I was 32 years old. So I got done with my schooling, and I was all ready to be a pastor. I'm like, all right, here we go. I'm excited. I'm ready to go. I'm. This is all. You know, this is what I you made me for, God. I'm ready to go. This is going to happen. I'm super excited. So I start sending out resumes, and right away after I graduated, just a couple within a couple of months, I get two churches that I get into interviews with, and I'm down to the final two in both churches. Super excited. Think, oh, here we go. There's no way I've never missed on a on an interview. I mean, if they interview once, they meet me. I mean, how could they say no, right? And uh, both. Both churches, I, they rejected me. And then it went dry. For the next two years, I didn't get a call. And I faced failure. I was like, I thought this is what God had called me to. I thought this is what my life was going to be, As I was going to be a pastor for the rest of my life. This was, gonna, this was the thing. And so in the midst of that failure, I began to reevaluate my life. And I praise the Lord that he allowed this struggle to come. Because it helped me to recognize that my life is not about being a pastor. That's not the most important thing. Most important thing is Jesus. And that I'd be his servant and I'd go wherever he goes and do whatever he says to do. And if that meant I had to be a grocery clerk for the rest of my life and just worshiping and and serving him on the side, then that's what I would do. Trouble is a good thing. It's a blessing from God. So if you are confronted by failure right now, I hope that you will recognize your need for Jesus to release your hope and dependence on success in this world, and recognize that even if you're poor, even if you're alone, even if you're living on the streets, even if you're hungry, that if you have Jesus, you have enough. All right, worship team, why don't you come up, give these final thoughts. Now, as I've uh, said over and over again, the series that I'm preaching this year is about engaging our neighbors. We are looking at Jesus and what he has done and how he cares for us and who he calls in this particular series because we want to ignite our own hearts. We want him to ignite our own hearts for the lost in our world. In Luke chapter 5, I believe it is, uh, let me look here, I've got it, Luke 5, 31 and 32. Jesus tells us that it is not the healthy who need a doctor. He says he's not come for the righteous, he's come for the sinners. He's come for those who recognize their need. The evangelistic perspective that we get from each one of these Beatitudes and this one this morning is that we need to be looking for those who are facing trouble, who have been confronted by their own failure. Understand when we go to the person who everything is going perfectly for them and their life is all coming in, it's just working out, no problem, they are probably not going to be looking for Jesus Because their life is working. You know, drama class studying is going just fine so far. They haven't hit the test yet. But we as Christians, as we look around at our friends and family members, those who we work with, those we run into at the grocery store, we should be looking for those who have faced trouble or are facing trouble. So the question, are you engaging those who are hurting, who are broken, who are hopeless, who are in despair right now? Those are the ones that you need to look for. And when we look for those and engage in conversation with those who are, are facing this amazing confrontation with their own failure, we need to remember that the world is not the answer. We as Christians sometimes try to fix their problem by saying, oh, well, have you tried out over here in this job over here? There's, a, you know, there's another company over here that's actually hiring. You know, we, get, we get all wrapped up. It's not that we don't want to help them that way, right? Don't get me wrong, but we so often just uh, default to that. Let's fix their problem. Let's give them a, you know, a kind of hand up if we can. Instead of the first thing being, have you considered that maybe the things that you're putting your hope in aren't worth putting your hope in? And then there is someone who is worth putting your hope in, and that is Jesus. The world is not the answer for them, it's Jesus. You are not, we are not the answer for them, it's Jesus. And solving the problem is not the answer, it's Jesus. Jesus. Church, as we continue to interact in this world, this pandemic world filled with all kinds of tensions, this politicized world that is filled with all kinds of political tensions, this world that's filled with racial tensions, people's perspective of success is getting thrown down in their faces There are people all around us who have been confronted by failure because of the events of the last six months. So are we ready? Are we engaging? We know the answer. We know what they need. We've got Jesus. Are we sharing him with them? Understand that anytime someone is going through trial or struggle, trouble of any kind, that is Jesus working in their life. It's not that he caused it, that he allows it so that they will, be, they will begin to reevaluate what they're doing and how they're living their life and be open to one of us stepping through the door and say, hey, let me tell you about my friend Jesus. All right, church. Let's stand and uh, we'll sing a couple songs and I'll come up and close in prayer.